Hi, and welcome back to the Mindful Sport Performance Podcast. I'm Dr. Keith Kaufman. I'm Dr. Tim Pinnell. And we are very excited to have with us today, Taylor Brown, who is near and dear to our podcast. He is our producer, um, but also does some very fascinating work and important work. And, and so we're looking forward to talking about that with him today. So thank you so much, Taylor, for, for joining us. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. It's been a long time uh, coming and I'm uh, excited to be here. Yeah, so we always mention Taylor at the end of our episodes, but today we get to hear his voice and, <laughs> and get to, to hear his thoughts on mindfulness and sport and performance. So again, uh, very, very excited to have this conversation. Um, so I'll just start by doing a quick introduction to, to Taylor. Um, Taylor Brown is the founder of EnduroMind Mental Performance Consulting, and he's the Mental Performance Program Lead for SportShare, a sports community building platform which is launching in the spring of 2021. Taylor also happens to be the producer of this podcast, as I just mentioned. Um, before founding EnduroMind in 2019, Taylor was the Associate Director of the Center for Sports Leadership and Innovation at the University of Texas, where he designed and deployed leadership development programming for athletes of all ages. Prior to that, Taylor competed in rowing at the collegiate level where he was a three-time Ivy League champion and placed top three in the country in three out of four years, and at the elite level where he raced against the best rowers in the world. After dabbling in triathlon for a few years, Taylor has settled on running as his physical pursuit. His current goal is to break one hour and 18 minutes for a half marathon. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me here, guys. And um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that half marathon uh, goal goes. It kind of popped into my mind one day, and I, and I was like, "Well, I guess that's what I want to do." Um, I, I'm so, sure I could yeah. What's the? I'm just curious. What's the pace for that? That's around. That, that's a under six minute pace. Wow. Yeah. So. I'm working on it. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, I think that one's probably pretty far out. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to, uh, to get going on that. Very cool. Yeah. I guess we'll start here with the meditation. Yes, yes, so yes. I kind of, I kind of know how this goes. Yeah, <laughs> you know the drill. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and thank you, Taylor, for agreeing to lead us. We're excited. Yeah, yeah, definitely. One of my favorite topics in mindfulness is acceptance. Uh, acceptance is kind of at the core of, of the mindfulness work that I do and that, that you guys do. So that's what this is called. It's just an acceptance meditation. So I'm just going to get started. So just find a comfortable seated position where you can be both relaxed and supported. You can rest your hands wherever it feels right and either close your eyes or Place your gaze unfocused a few feet in front of you. Draw your attention inward and find your breath. Without changing or controlling your breath in any way, just experience what it's doing in this moment. Is it slow and deep? Maybe it's shallow and residing in the chest. 
whatever you find, just allow it to be exactly as it is. Pay attention right now in this moment. Many times in our lives, when our expectations of what should be happening does not meet the reality of what is happening, we tend to resist. When we meet something unpleasant or uncomfortable, resistance and avoidance is sometimes our default reaction. Allow your attention to slowly drift from your breath into the sensations in your body, starting down at your toes and slowly rising throughout your body to your knees, hips, and through your torso and up to the top of your head. Just like your breath, whatever you find, meet the experience with a gentle acceptance not needing the sensations to be any different than they are in this moment. Resistance can manifest in many ways, such as frustration, anger, blame, rumination. Sometimes you're so attached to the shoulds, need tos, and have tos in our lives that resistance becomes a common reaction. Sometimes we think, I just need this to be different in order to be happy. But resistance to experience is actually one of the causes of your suffering, not the solution. Bring your attention now to something in your life that you're having trouble accepting, something that you've been meeting with resistance. Maybe you stay with a physical sensation in your body, but perhaps you move on to a thought or emotional experience. Once you find your attention resting in this experience, see if you can allow yourself Give yourself permission to accept its experience in this moment for exactly what it is. Many grasp onto resistance because they perceive acceptance as a kind of resignation or giving up. However, acceptance is more about an acknowledgement of and empowerment in the present. Resignation is about disengagement from and apathy to the present. Acceptance allows us to see reality clearly and respond intelligently. Now that you've given yourself the space to be with and accept your present challenge. Ask yourself if you can let it go, let it be, let it float away for a moment. 
What does this feel like for you? What weight have you lifted off your shoulders? What would life bring you if you allowed this accepting attitude in more often? As this practice comes to a close, bring your attention back to your breath for a moment. Notice if there have been any changes in your experience of breathing, then just acknowledge and accept whatever you find. Gently refocus your gaze or blink your eyes open and slowly bring your attention back to the world around you. Thanks for that, Taylor. You're welcome. Yeah, I, um, I really like this concept of, of acceptance. I think it is, it is something that really changed my life when I started to really realize kind of what acceptance was and that I had a choice of how I uh, related to and perceived unpleasant or uncomfortable internal or external experiences. I think that was a a big shifting point for me and um, really uh, helped me take back some choice, take back some freedom in my life. And I really like meditations that help you access that feeling of acceptance. Kind of like you were saying in the beginning, Taylor, about how acceptance is really at the core of, of kind of the mindfulness work that you do. I think, yeah, maybe perhaps mindfulness in general, certainly, you know, as we talk about it in MSPE, right, we, we really highlight kind of awareness and acceptance as these two primary mindfulness characteristics. And, and yeah, and I think, I think it, they're both necessary ingredients, right? Because we can certainly be aware, sometimes too aware of the things that make us miserable or make us anxious. And when we're not meeting those things with acceptance, you know, tuning in becomes rumination. You know, and so it's, it is in the integration of that kind of awareness and acceptance that ends up making mindfulness so powerful. But I do think acceptance is the, is, is the harder part of that um, because it is so different than how we're taught. And actually, so one of the things I really enjoyed about your meditation was that kind of the combination of, I guess, like the what we're doing and the why we're doing it, like, because you weren't just guiding people to to focus on their breath or to, you know, to, to think of things that maybe they were having some resistance to and trying to let them go, but also including like, like, why? Like, why do we talk about acceptance? Like, what is problematic sometimes about acceptance that it does get conflated with resignation and that our, our tendency is to meet uncomfortable moments with resistance. And that's why acceptance ends up being so powerful. I really like meditations that include that, like have that kind of balance. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, I think kind of intentional. I, I don't know if you 
recognize, but I kind of shifted between instruction about what to do and then a little bit of, you know, if you could call it theory, but a little bit of theory and then a little bit more instruction and then a little bit of theory. I really like those too, because it, you get in that space with the instruction of, you know, what they're asking you to do. And then it, it's right followed up with, and this is, you know, this is why, or this is my idea of why. And, and so that's kind of what I tried to bring to it. Um, and, you know, to your point too, about awareness and acceptance is, as being the component parts. I mean, if you kind of look at the, the wider world of mental performance and, you know, I think awareness is something that is um, ubiquitous across mental performance in any discipline. I mean, everyone's trying to build awareness, but I think acceptance is the component of kind of the mindfulness-based interventions that make it really unique and that is really missed with some of the other um, some of the other approaches to mental performance. Well, I was going to ask. I, I don't know if if you'd be comfortable sharing, so feel free to take a pass if if you'd like. But you know, we talk a lot in MSPE and on this podcast about the experience of mindfulness and, and how personal it can be and, and how people come to it. And you were saying you yourself, Taylor, had a personal realization of what acceptance is. And, and so I don't know if you're willing to share how, how you came to that or what, what that particular experience was. I'd have to start back my summer going into freshman year of college. The summer before freshman year, there is an experience where I got hooked on a thought and I couldn't, I couldn't seem to break away from that thought as hard as I tried. Um, and looking back now, it was um, my resistance to that thought that was continuing to make it ruminate in my mind. And that thought became a daily experience of something I couldn't get out of my mind for about a year. Um, and looking back now, um, knowing what I know now, it was my first experience with OCD and so obsessive compulsive disorder. And throughout, you know, freshman year, it was um, really really uh scary because i i it was just such an upsetting thing that was in my mind and i couldn't really i had a lot of trouble functioning and so then sophomore year i found some um i actually ended up going to kind of the university therapy services they offer to, to students um and and found some uh some way to kind of deal with it a little bit better. And so then sophomore year and junior year, um, it wasn't as much of a problem. And then it kind of returned back senior year. And I think, you know, reflecting back, it was around periods of transition that this kind of OCD, these symptoms of, of OCD um, came into, you know, came into the light. So it, it kind of happened again uh, near, near the end of my senior year. And then throughout the next, from around 2012 to 2016, 2017, um, I was having, you know, just kind of reoccurring episodes of, of obsessive compulsive symptoms and, and things that were really pointing to that. But 
it, it was never really diagnosed. It was never really understood as obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, but then in 20, 2018, 2019-ish, it, it really kind of came on, uh, you know, in a more com kind of complete way, if you were to kind of look at the, the symptoms and, and the, the things that you need to check off in the DSM to, to say this is obsessive compulsive disorder, um, those things really, really started to present themselves uh, very, very uh, clearly. Yep. And so I, you know, 2017, actually backing up a year, I, um, I picked up a book called um, The Mindful Athlete by George Mumford. And so that was kind of, I read that book and it was just kind of a light bulb moment for me. And I was like, oh, wow, like this is, this is some really like different way of thinking about this. Like for, for five years from 2012 to 2017, it was, you know, I was, I was in, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, basically trying to reframe and, and change kind of my, my thoughts and, you know, change my experience and all. And then I read that book by George and I was like, oh, I can just accept this and I don't have to change anything. Everything is okay as it is right now. Um, and just changing my relationship with the, that internal experience was like, whoa. Um, so, you know, 2018, it was kind of, I was kind of on this cloud. Like That's kind of how I describe it to people. I was kind of high on this cloud of like, just having discovered what this was and I was like, this is great. Kind of at the end of 2018, I, I went back to a, an older therapist that I had worked with just as kind of a check-in. And there is this moment where she kind of questioned mindfulness. And so it actually kind of triggered a, a, a spiral in me for um, about the better part of, of a year of 2019, it was a really, really tough year for me. And, and around December of, of 2019, I was just in kind of the depths of going from, from one trigger to another thought cycles, compulsions. And then I kind of decided in January, 2020, that I was, you know, I had to, I had to start working with, with somebody who was, you know, a specialist in OCD or not, not an OCD, just an anxiety specialist. Cause at that point I didn't even, I hadn't even been diagnosed with OCD and I didn't even know what it was. I thought I was going crazy. Um, and I started working with a specialist. She, you know, specifically does a lot of work through the acceptance commitment uh, therapy approach. And so we started working together within, I think the first or second session, she was like, you sir have OCD. And I was like, like, no, I don't like, <laughs> I like, look at my desk. It's a mess. Like I don't have OCD, I'm fine. <laughs> right. Like I, like if you saw, like, there's no, you know, there's, I'm not organized. And she's like, no, no, like, no, there's a lot of different types and forms of OCD. You know, you don't, I'm not, I don't line my pencils up, right? So she kind of handed me a paper that had the the symptoms of, of kind of the OCD I was experiencing. And I was like, oh, yeah. Like within 10 seconds of reading, I was like, oh, you're right. Yeah, this is exactly what I have. That's really when, you know, I, th I think that that was, because I, 
I think that was af definitely after I had taken, um, you know, I, I had done the MSPE training with, with you guys. So like I knew mindfulness and I was doing it in 2018 and then kind of got sidetracked, I guess, in 2019 and then really came back to it at the end of 2019. And it was just, that's when I really kind of dove in to it and, and really deepened my practice and really understood a lot more about it. Uh, actually quarantine, you know, I, I, the beginning of quarantine, I was, I was reading just a ton about mindfulness and, and, you know, really just going into the meditative practice. So, so I guess that's a, a long way of saying, you know, I kind of discovered it back in 2017. Um, and, over the period of the last four years um, have just continued to do it, continued, you know, my meditative practice, you know, now it's, it's an everyday thing. Um, and it has been for, you know, since the beginning of, of 2020, really. So about, you know, close to two years now. Um, and yeah. And, and, you know, I, I think a lot of people struggle with undiagnosed OCD um, which, you know, some form of undiagnosed OCD, uh, I know, uh, Allie Raisman, the gymnast just, you know, she got on a podcast actually announced, you know, let people know that she has OCD. And so it's, it's something that I am starting to find a, a different relationship with a, a gratitude for, if you will, it's, it's, a it's, it's taken me a really long time to get there because when I'm triggered and when I'm in a thought cycle, it, it, it's terrifying. You know, when I, when I'm out of that kind of looking in it, it, before it was like, you know, coming back to this idea of resistance and acceptance, I resisted so much having this and it was like, just trying to get it away or trying to change it. And now it's like accepting, accepting what the reality of, of, of life is right now. And so in my mind, I kind of look at it as more like a dance I'm doing with my OCD rather than a battle that I do with my OCD. Cause that is, uh, that's changed the way I experience it for sure. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, this, it's just, it's those kinds of personal histories, personal stories that I think really make this come to life. I know that's true for me. Um, and I think, and I think, you know, at least it's been my experience talking to people, um, particularly the people who I really respect and admire who have like taught me a lot about mindfulness and I know about their, their own stories and how they came to it almost always involves some sort of personal crisis or struggle or um, yeah, some, something that generated a lot of resistance that was really, really traumatic or difficult. And that they really were almost forced to this precipice of like, well, I can either continue to resist this, or I just need to figure out a path to acceptance. Um, otherwise life is just, isn't sustainable. Yeah. And, and it's just like to be open and willing to let other people into that story, I think is such a powerful way to, to invite others in to mindfulness. Yeah. 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 That, that's, you know, that's, that's really what I, what I had, you know, I've had a, a few uh, points, you know, I, I call them threshold moments over the course of this, where I make a, a, a big kind of 
a leap forward. And, you know, that one of those actually recently came in, in August and it, it was, you know, I, I know what, you know, quote unquote works for my OCD. I know what, you know, what I need to do mentally um, in order to, to be, um, in order for, for life to be sustainable, in order for me to be kind of happy. I know what to do, but I was kind of, I don't, I don't know if lazy is the right word, but I was being kind of lazy with it. Like I was like, I was allowing myself to get triggered. I was, I was not, it would be, it would be equivalent of having a doctor prescribe me a prescription and then not taking the pills. <laughs> so that's kind of like what I was doing was like, I know that what I know, I know meditating every day makes me, makes this better. I know that, you know, taking an accepting attitude towards the thoughts and emotions in my mind makes this better, but I had not committed to that. It was like, I was doing the acceptance part of, of acceptance commitment, but I hadn't done the commitment to action. So it was like, there was this big kind of threshold moment uh, in August where I was like, wait, I just need to really just commit to this. And, and so that, that changed a lot of things too. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, sometimes I think these stories, uh, people say, oh yeah, 10 years ago, I had this thing and it's like, for me, it's still, it's still very recent, right? I'm still in the midst of, of figuring this all out. So, yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, I hear you in that, like kind of approaching that threshold moment or recognizing like, oh man, I know what to do, but I'm not doing it. I mean, like, sounds like you're talking about autopilot, right? Yeah. It's just like, I, you know, that, or we could call it laziness, right? But it's the, the, <laughs> the lack of intentionality that's in, that's in our lives day to day. I think for most of us, right? right. That we just, it is so much easier to just do what's habitual and to go through the motions because making change is hard work. Um, but yeah, I think really, like you're saying, making the commitment to like bring yourself off of autopilot to live more intentionally. It's just, it is really powerful because it does. I mean, it just, you see how many more options you have, you know, like, and again, it's not in, in, in an effort to fix or change, but just like options in order to make your life feel better. And sometimes that's a matter of choosing what you pay attention to in any given moment, right? Mm -hmm. But sometimes it's about taking action in this moment to help set you up well for the next moment. Um, but we just, we don't even see those options when we're locked in that resistance, that like that battle, right? Of like, I just yeah. need to make this different. I need to make this go away. Right. I, I know this idea of laziness comes up a lot too, certainly in, in the mindfulness work that we do, but I see it all the time with individual clients I work with really around any kind of change behaviors that almost the first place we go, not for everyone, of course, but, but I hear it often is, well, I'm not doing this because I'm lazy. And, mm -hmm. and I wonder just based on the discussion that we're having today, if one way we might conceptualize like Taylor, what you were just speaking about is that acceptance itself might have a lot of different layers right? Like I, I love the way that you were describing, you know, a, in, instead of fighting OCD, it's a dance. Mm -hmm. And, and that's almost like, I think about that as like a macro level of acceptance. Like, yeah, this is a thing. This is a thing that I have. And maybe there's a choice in terms of how I relate to it. But then there's this other layer of daily practice, right? The, the grind of it all and, and the, the choices we have moment by moment or day by day, like we talk about this in MSBE in session five around making choices around self-care and, and how actually that's really hard to do too. You can accept that you have OCD. You can accept that there's some reason why mindfulness might be important to you, but it's an entirely different thing than to commit, as you're saying, to, to a daily practice. Um, 
So I don't, I don't know if that's, if that's an appealing conceptualization. I just, I always, I always push back on people when they say lazy. I just feel like that yeah. I've, I've met very few people in life who are truly lazy, you know? Right. Yeah. And, and I guess, yeah, like I, I, I don't like using that word either. Cause I don't think I was being lazy. I think in those moments where I was choosing not to do what I knew I needed to do, I think I was still doing the best I could in that moment. And for whatever reason, I wasn't doing what I needed to do, but I don't think it was just because I was sitting there being like, ah, I just don't want to do this. It was, you know, I think the outcome was, it was kind of like a laziness, but it wasn't as in like I was being lazy. It was just the laziness of the consistency of it is. So yeah, I agree with you, uh, Keith. It's, I wouldn't call myself lazy. Right. Um, but, but yes, yeah, people do go there. Well, we go to judgment, right? Like that's, right. you know, one of the most powerful things about kind of teaching people about mindfulness is, is helping them to recognize just how judgmental our brains are, you know, and that like, yeah, we observe a behavior in ourselves and we, we want to put a label on it. Oftentimes a critical label, like lazy. Um, but even in what you just said, it sounded like there was some real self-compassion that like, but you know what? I I could label that as lazy, but I also recognize I was doing the best I could in that moment. Right. And and I think that like that feels so so important, right? That 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 ability to meet ourselves with self-compassion rather than judgment, which I think allows for change, right? Creates the space to, to commit to something. So then we're not kind of building an additional obstacle we need to overcome. Like not only do I need to commit to this practice, but I need to like convince myself that I'm not lazy and then commit to the practice. Like why did I give myself extra work to do? Um, right. right. You know. And another way, another way that, you know, I kind of looking back at it, I think the committing to the practice takes actually a lot of courage, right? Because there's, you know, when I, when I really committed was I was finishing up my coaching certification and there's this model that they use called the, the pain gain model of change. And it's, it's basically, you know, kind of a quadrant and then one axis is uh, pain and one axis is gain. And then, uh, you know, it's like, there's like, uh, uh, current pain, future pain, current gain, future gain. It was essentially get like a pros and cons list for deciding to commit and make it, you know, make a choice or something. And it was, and they call the pros and cons list on steroids. And it's, it's basically just like, you know, it, it, it shows you what, what is the current pain that you're facing by staying the same? What is the pain you will face if you change in the future? What is the current uh, gain you have by staying the same? What is the current get or the gain you'll have in the future? And it was just like it, on my quadrant, it was just like, there was so much current uh, pain and there was so much future gain. Right. But it also showed me the discomfort that I would have to tolerate or that I would have to accept if I chose to make this decision to commit, which is, you know, in, in the, in the, the mindfulness, you know, work that, that I do with myself is acceptance is very uncomfortable, right? Acceptance is not a comfortable thing. You have to accept some pretty uncomfortable things. So, so that was, um, it took some courage to really be like, okay, um, well, I want mental wellness. So, um, it's going to be uncomfortable to get there. Right. I have to make the courageous decision to be okay with that discomfort. Um, you know, which, you know, that's, that is kind of bringing it 
kind of back to you know, sports performance and athletics. I mean, I think that is the um, thing with a lot of athletes is defining what a courageous choice is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, acceptance, I think, for athletes can be a really courageous choice because they're mind is always going, how can I, how can I get better? Um, why wasn't that good enough? Um, you know, all these things where they're, you know, Tim, like you said, their autopilot goes to, and actually the courageous choice is acceptance. Yeah. Right. So that's, you know, it yeah, just strikes yeah. me too, how, how different that language is though, than what you often hear in sport, right. Where sort of the the push through it mentality, the just shove it to the side, right? Uh, the things that we sort of consider as the opposite of acceptance and how letting the emotion in for, for a lot of folks or, or the thoughts in, um, you know, it, it's not usually framed the way, or I shouldn't say usually, but but often it's it's not framed in the way you just did, Taylor. But I 100% agree with you that that, you know, as a mindfulness instructor or someone working with athletes, helping people to just conceptualize that this is a courageous choice. Yeah. You know, it's much harder to look at this stuff and to face this stuff than it is to, to just bury it and shove it to the side and just keep pushing on where, um, you know, you can really become beholden to it. Um, I, I, I think there's, there's, there's such a reframe that, that is necessary in, in sport language that, that mindfulness really helps us with and seeing this as an act of bravery. Um, right. I love Tara Brock's, you know, the radical acceptance yeah. idea. Um, yeah. Sorry. And like, just that, that, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I, I'm like feeling really energized by it. Like, it's like, yes, I, I, we need to be talking about this as, as brave and as courageous. Um, and, and cause it's like, I, you know, we see these athletes kind of as they learn more about acceptance and start to see the power of it. And they, so many of them make this kind of interesting pit stop along the way where they try to take this new and powerful thing and fit it into an old box, right? And say, oh, great, acceptance is really powerful. And so if I just accept it, my anxiety will go away. Or if I just accept it, then my performance will improve. And it's like, well, wait a second. (laughs) Sometimes you're going to be with the anxiety. Sometimes you're going to have a bad performance day. Like acceptance means being with that stuff. Acceptance isn't about making sure that never, ever happens again. Although Mm -hmm. I do think as we become more mindful, we get less anxious, right? I do think as we become more mindful in general, right? On the whole, we will improve our performance, right? But that it doesn't protect us from the, the natural, the daily ups and downs. And like, yeah, it is a really courageous thing to like, to let go, to take this like leap of faith almost of that old model of like, I do X to get Y, right? I will practice mindfulness and I will meditate every day and I will accept so that I'll never be anxious again. Well, <laughs> you're really setting yourself up for some disappointment, right? right? That's not really acceptance. Right. Yeah. And, and one of the first things I say when I work with athletes, you know, we'll talk about their performance anxiety or we'll talk about, um, yeah, I guess we'll just use performance anxiety. You know, I'll say like, I'm never, I'm not here to, to get rid of your anxiety. Like if I don't have a magic pill to make your anxiety go away, you know, we're not going to be reframing situations to see them in a new light. And then uh, we won't be anxious about them. Like that's, that might be what other people are striving for, but that's not what I'm striving for. I'm just, I'm just trying to change your relationship with that. You know, pretty much exactly what you just said, Tim. Um, But I, I, you know, I found this one 
thing it's it's um it's on palusemindfulness.com and so it's um basically this kind of graphic that really breaks down really well uh the difference is between giving up acceptance acceptance slash non-striving and then striving and i found the language of of non-striving is is really uh problematic with athletes uh because their whole life they've been you know striving to be their best striving to do this striving to do that and so when you say non-striving it's just like there's like a little short circuit in their brain they're like what what are you what are you talking about and so but the way this breaks it down is is actually really interesting and you know i'm a i'm a you know, a quadrant guy, you know, I always <laughs> love making the, making the tea and having the different things, as you can tell, it just, it, for, for some reason in my mind, it, it, it makes sense. But, um, you know, and this is, you know, you know, one axis would be intention and one axis is attachment, right? So on, you know, in the striving, you know, quadrant, we have high intention, high attachment, where, you know, you must achieve a specific outcome, um, you know, you're driven, demanding, impatient, inflexible, perfectionistic, um, you know, and, you know, and the outcome is anxiety, anger, frustration, uh, potentially burnout. And so that is, you know, you know, fixed idea that, that, that things have to turn out in a certain way. So that's, that's kind of the high attachment of it. Right. And then, but with the acceptance slash non-striving, you know, it's, it's accepting, you know, acknowledging what's happening, um, flexible, uh, you know, uh, responding with skill and insight, um, satisfaction from doing your best. And that is, you know, the high intention, low attachment, right? So we still have a high intention of doing something of, of, you know, um, achieving a goal, um, you know, getting, getting to a place where we intend to get to, but the attachment to that of needing it to be a certain way is low. Right. And then on the, the other side, you know, the last quadrant is this low intention, low attachment of you don't really care about getting there. And you're also really not attached to the idea. So that is kind of the thing that I think when, when we say non-striving, that is what athletes confabulate. Yeah. non-striving acceptance with is the giving up and giving in, which is low intention, low attachment. Right. So I, I, this is something that I share with, with all athletes. It's just a PDF and it's just, it, it breaks it down so well because it's like, we can really want to get somewhere, but we're not like attached to it needing or, or, or having to be a certain way. Um, Taylor, can and, you repeat the you the URL one more time for our listeners? Just so I, I think you said it, but yeah, it's uh, it's p a l o u s e palouse mindfulness dot com, and um, I this is uh, this is an MBSR kind of uh, mindfulness based stress reduction kind of database. I think um, it is one of the the best kind of two-page PDFs that I've seen that that explains what acceptance and non-striving is and how to still have high intention yeah. with acceptance and non-striving. Um, it really breaks it down really well. That's great. It, it's yeah. just so, I, 
I'm totally on board because yes, non-striving is one of the most difficult concepts to try to grapple with. And we certainly try to talk a lot about it in MSBE and like really, really confront how difficult it is for athletes to like wrap their minds around this. And so, so yes, any, any, any way in, right. right. Is, is going to be helpful. So I'm, I'm, it's really cool to hear how you talk about it, how you teach about it. Maybe even just in this, in this interview, I feel like I have a, uh, a much better sense of who you are, or how you would be as a, as a consultant teaching mindfulness, <laughs> but I really, which I really like, I really, I really appreciate. And I know, oh, of course yeah. you, you know, you've started this consulting business in DuroMind. Um, and, and uh, we, well, we should probably wrap up soon-ish, but I would love to hear a little bit more about, like, about your business, like about the consulting, about what you're doing, certainly how people can access you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's enduromind.com, E-N-D-U-R-O-M-I-N-D.com. I, well, I chose that name originally because it's kind of, I, you know, my, my kind of athlete that I really want to work with is, is an endurance athlete. So, you know, rowing, swimming, running triathlon. Um, but that doesn't mean that I, you know, I'm not, I'm not, uh, interested in working with other athletes. That's just kind of what my background is in. And, um, yeah, I mean, we really, uh, we're really focused on this great program called MSPE that, um, you know, has been developed, um, check it out. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, it's usually, you know, the work I do with athletes is the first six weeks of, of the work we do together. We're going right through the MSP program. And then after that, you know, I, I love the MSP program because it, it gives us a common language and a common vocabulary understanding so that when we continue to do work after that, we are, we have, we have the, the vocabulary to talk about non-striving and, and, you know, attachment and expectations and what that all means, you know, in this world. Um, so I find that that incredibly helpful. Um, and, you know, I, I think just kind of bringing it back to the beginning, it's, it's, the the core of the work that I do with athletes is really centered around acceptance. And, um, you know, when I introduce mindfulness, I have three definitions I throw out there. You know, the first definition is John Kabat-Zinn's definition, which is, you know, the awareness that comes from paying attention to the present moment non-judgmentally, some variation of that. And then I have the definition from um, uh, uh, the mindfulness acceptance commitment um, program, which is, uh, Zella Moore and Frank Gardner, um, which I can't remember off the top of my head, but they have a really good way of conceptualizing it as well. And then I have my own personal definition, which is um, uh, being with the entirety of the present moment, um, pleasant or unpleasant, right? So, uh, you know, I think that comes back to this acceptance idea. And, you know, I think athletes, we're so much confronted with discomfort and our default tends to always be resistance in some way, um, whether that's being confronted with physical discomfort, which, which is what I find so interesting, um, especially with sports where, you know, essentially it, the harder you can push your body, the more successful you're going to be in general. Um, and, and being able to, you know, observe that discomfort versus, uh, you know, listen to or buy into that discomfort. Um, so that's, that's kind of, kind of what I'm interested in with, with Enduromind. Um, and I forget 
the other piece that I was going to say, but uh, if you want to, if anybody wants to contact me for, for any reason, um, you know, just find me at enduramind.com or on Instagram. Thank you, Taylor. And, um, you know, we, we really appreciate as Tim was saying, we really appreciate you joining us. And it's so interesting for us to hear more about you and, and your journey through mindfulness and um, some of your ambitious athletic, well, your, your impressive athletic pass and your ambitious yeah. goals going forward. It's good luck with that. I'm, I'm a distance runner myself, no, nowhere near that caliber. So I, my hat's off to you to, to um, have that goal. You'll have to keep us posted on that. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so we, we really appreciate your time. And usually this is the time where I, I thank you. So I will thank <laughs> you in advance for your, for your production skills and everything you do for our podcast. And, and, you know, this. while we, while we have you on, I want to give an additional thank you. Cause I don't know that the, the audience might know this, but this podcast exists in part because of you, you know, Taylor participated in one of our MSPE instructor trainings and he was the one that approached us and said, Hey, you guys ever thought about starting a podcast? Um, and that's where the idea was born. So, so thank you for that, Taylor. Yes. Hey, you know, you hear good, uh, good stuff and you want other people to hear it too. So. <laughs> well, we appreciate that. And we, we, we were giving you space to plug your work and we appreciate you plugging MSPD a little bit. So th Absolutely. thank you for that. Um, and, and thanks as well, as we always like to thank our colleague, Carol Glass, who for all of her work behind the scenes and, um, for anyone who wants to connect with us, with the MSP Institute, um, you can visit our webpage at mindfulsportperformance.org. Um, you can also connect with our podcast page on Instagram, which I think that's, well, Taylor, you're on Instagram, but also we have our podcast page on Instagram, which is at mindful underscore sport underscore podcast. Um, you can also visit our new YouTube channel where we include all of our meditations uh, from our episodes, including if Taylor's comfortable, hopefully he's willing to share and post his, his meditation onto YouTube for us. Um, we also have our MSPE Facebook page and you can connect with me, Dr. Keith Kaufman on Twitter. My handle is at MindfulSportDoc. Um, so thank you uh, to everyone who listened and thank you again, Taylor, and we will see you next time. Hi, everybody.